Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. And on tonight's program, I decided to take a look at getting income out of the stocks that you invest in. So I've got Marcus Bogdan from Blackmore Capital to talk to us about the three top stocks he likes in his fund, which of course is a dividend growth fund. And then Raymond Chan will look at what we learned from the stock market last week, those two beautiful days, a 5.5% rise, primarily because the market was anticipating maybe a, a better run of data around US inflation. Didn't happen, but boy, when they, they expected that the market did go up. What were the big lessons there? And what stocks does he like right now? And what stocks does he not like right now? And then Paul Ricard focuses in on a high-flying stock that he thinks is really good value right now. It's a stock around $5 or so, but the analysts think it should be $6 or more. So that's the show. Let's kick off now with Marcus Bogdan. Well, joining me now is Marcus Bogdan of Blackmore Capital, who also is the fund manager for the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund. I'm keen to know what are the three stocks in his portfolio which he sees is the, are the most reliable, the ones that he knows will keep on delivering good, reliable, dependable dividends. Marcus, thanks for joining us. Morning, Peter. Let's just um, recap on what you do in the Switzer Dividend Growth Fund. How many stocks do you put in it? Uh, so we can hold anywhere between 20 and 40, uh, but over the course of the history of running the fund, we've averaged around 20, 25 stocks. Uh, so that uh, gives us sufficient diversification, but also allows us uh, to really overweight key themes in the portfolio as well. Okay, obviously the unit price jumps around with the stock market. You, you, you're a slave to what the stock market does. But you know, since you've been, <coughs> you've been running the fund, what has the fund been returning before franking and then after franking? In terms of, in terms of dividend yield, yep. Yep. Well, currently the dividend yield uh, is comfortably over 5%. Uh, and when you gross that up, it is over 7% today. Uh, so okay. there is definitely a focus on higher uh, dividend paying stocks. But importantly, we want those dividends to be resilient as well. And hopefully uh, companies that uh, are able to grow their earnings uh, through the investment cycle. So that allows those dividends to grow as well. So that's, yeah. that's a really important caveat for, for the portfolio. Yeah. We want sound economic growth, which underpins uh, sound dividend growth. Okay, so today I wanna to ask you, if you look at the, the stocks you've got in the portfolio, for people out there who, who might wanna um, you know, build their own fund, uh, I, I probably, you probably prefer them to invest in your fund, but the bottom line is, what are the three, what you think most reliable, dependable dividend payers in your collection of companies? Well, the three are each are leaders in their particular industry. And the three are, would be Amcor, uh, which has a, a st stated objective of, of growing capital and dividends uh, through the investment cycle. And they've done that particularly well uh, through the pandemic. Uh, it's been one of the few stocks that have really delivered consistent earnings growth 
uh, earnings at the upper end of their guidance, and that's translated into very attractive dividend growth. So that's yeah. number one. However, number before, 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 before number two, with Amcor, is it in the right sector as well in the age of people buying stuff online and the whole logistics stuff that the world depends on becoming far more important because people aren't going to the shops as often but they're buying stuff online and therefore cardboard boxes and the whole delivery process is far more important than ever before? Yeah, look, that, that has played an element. It's important to recognise who uh, the key customers are, and that is primarily consumer consumer staples. Uh, so it's fast-moving goods, very much in the, in the beverage category. Uh, in healthcare, they do a lot of work, whether it's in pharmaceutical packaging or ho hospital packaging as well. Yeah. Uh, and they also, um, an area of significant growth for them um, has been uh, coffee capsules, which are obviously been uh, mm. uh, increasingly um, um, popular, uh, and pet food. And, and all of those things require packaging. Uh, what is important as the industry leader is that they move down further into sustainable packaging uh, and Amcor is certainly a leader in that area as well. Okay, let's go to the next one. Uh, what's the second most reliable company? Uh, well, uh, very much a household stock, um, Commonwealth Bank. Uh, you know, since uh, since floating on the uh, on the Australian Stock Exchange um, in the early 1990s, uh, it has been a very reliable dividend payer uh, and uh, with a very strong balance, balance sheet uh, and, ex and has executed consistently better than the other three retail banks. Uh, we continue to, to like uh, Commonwealth Bank uh, as, a, as a steady provider of, of good income growth for our investors. Yeah. Uh, so around, what is it currently paying around now? Um, so the dividend yield uh, for, for CBA is, is around 4%. Uh, it is lower than the other three majors, uh, but I think that's primarily because of the quality of the book, that you are paying um, a slightly higher valuation and a slightly lower dividend yield. But I would argue that the dependability on the earnings and the dividend yield has been stronger for, for Commonwealth Bank. Yeah, and I must admit, I often <laughs> say when people ask me about CBA that whenever the market wants to sell off, it's a good time to buy the CBA because you, effectively your dividend yield goes up when it eventually um, sees its share price rise again. Indeed, and that has been the absolute uh, uh, pivotal part of their history over 30 years now. Yeah. Let's go to the, your third one now. Third one is, again, industry leader in, in the staples category, uh, and, that's, and that's Woolworths. Um, it pays a dividend yield of around 3%, three, 3%, uh, but has been able to deliver very consistent growth. It is the market market leader, um, ahead of Coles and, and, uh, and, and Metcash and the discount uh, grocers. Uh, and we think that they've executed particularly well through the pandemic. Uh, they've been able to grow their online presence. They're an, they're an industry leader there. Uh, and, gross, and grocery sales continue to be uh, reasonably strong. Mm. And once again, when these big names get trashed by the market, often by the short-term players who move from sector to sector, 
If you pick up a company like Woolworths when the share price is down, over time they invariably rise, plus you're getting a reliable dividend, which goes up effectively in yield terms if the share price goes up. Uh, indeed, I think, that, I think that's a really important lesson for investors, is that focus on those quality Australian leaders uh, that have been able to be to deliver dependable earnings and dividend growth over several decades. Okay. One last question, Marcus, because you know there, there is a belief that it's always the big names that deliver dividends, but occasionally there are smaller companies that you would, I guess, uh, invest in that also have had a good history of paying dividends. Can you give us the name of a smaller company that actually is a good and reliable dividend payer? Well, in the in the mid cap um, part of the, of the market. Um, um, would be clean away waste waste man, waste management. Um, and so again, a central industry industry leader, uh, and they have been able to grow their earnings uh, through through the cycle uh, at a, attractive levels, uh, and that's translated into uh, a much higher dividend growth uh, di dividend growth. Uh, compared to some of the la larger companies. Um, so underpinned by strong balance sheet, uh, dependable earnings, uh, those earnings are growing as they're getting uh, greater market share and that's translated into attractive dividend growth. Yeah. Is there, you know, listening to your, your uh, observations and your selections, it seems to me that you're, you're very keen on selecting the best of breed in any one sector. Is there a history that tells you that that is a really reliable way to not only get dividend yield, but also get capital growth? Yeah, it's a, it's a significant um, point that you, you raise. Um, there is definitely uh, an emphasis in the portfolio for quality. And um, we believe that the quality through the investment cycle, gives you the, the, the sort of um, the, the, the sort of the safest types of returns because they're far more dependable, uh, and they have got a clear history of being able to deliver those results uh, through a range of different economic circumstances. And and where we sit today, where there is a, a, a whole myriad of, of challenges that we're facing. From both from a, from an economic point of view, um, it's those sorts of companies that are really important ballasts in the portfolio. Yeah, it's funny as I was listening to you, I, I I thought of one company that once upon a time was considered best of breed, was a great dividend payer, but AMP has really lost it, hasn't it? Well, yes, and that's why you've, you've really got to, to, to study these companies um, very carefully. Um, you can't just put companies in, in the bottom drawer. Uh, you've got to follow their history. Uh, you've got to follow how they're executing. Uh, and also there are companies that lose the, their leadership mantle, uh, and AMP is one of those, those companies. On the other hand, companies like Macquarie have just gone from strength to strength um, over the last decade or so. Yeah, I, I guess the bottom line is once that trend becomes consistent over a number of years, it probably is a sign that you should get out. Yes, and and I, I, I do think that, um, that that history of execution on, on companies is partic particularly 
important to to follow. Uh, and and you've got to look at the direction of travel. Uh, are those companies creating shareholder wealth consistently? Uh, and, and that's why I pointed to the, the three companies at the uh, at the beginning of, of this segment, which are, are very good illustrations of, of companies that can do that um, over over the course of time. Yeah, Marcus, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks, Peter. That's Marcus Bogdan of Buckmore Capital. Well, it's a negative day on the market, and we kind of expected it after what we saw from Wall Street with that very good job number, which kind of implies that maybe inflation in the US isn't coming down as fast as we would like. But last week, on the anticipation of possibly a, a good inflation number in the US or, or a good jobs number in the US, and the fact that our inflation wasn't all that bad and the Reserve Bank only ra uh, raised rates by quarter percent, we saw in two days the market rose 5.5%. So I'd love to see what Raymond Chan thinks about that. What was the, the lesson from that and what stock he either likes or doesn't like right at this moment? Raymond, great to see you. Peter, good to see you. Two beautiful days last week, 5.5%. I saw it, saw it, Raymond, as a sneak preview of what might happen when inflation looks as though it's under control. Agree? Yeah, it does. I mean, if I... One big thing I always look at is the shipping, the shipping costs. Mm. So if, even if I look at the Baltic Dry Index, it's mm. all going down. Yeah. So uh, this is a good sign mm. of uh, inflation going down. However, that, that's one thing is really, really hard to go down at the moment, is the wages. Yeah. So in US, in Australia, our unemployment rate are at a record low. Mm. So it's suddenly getting harder. Uh, so this is something I guess the Reserve Bank will have to deal with. Mm, yeah, and it seems to me, Raymond, that I think I, I did read that rents in the US were going down, but rents here are going up. So there's a whole bunch of prices heading in different directions, and the statistician will eventually come out and probably surprise us with a good number. When that happens, at least for a couple of weeks, do you think the market will say, you little beauty, let's buy, but they'll be waiting with trepidation for the next month to make sure it's continuing to fall? Well, I think to answer the question, we have to take a step back as to, you know, where is this volatility coming from? Mm. Because like from uh, the 1st of July to, you know, maybe a few weeks ago, things looks pretty good. Yeah. It's all happening because of the yield curve. Yeah. So to demonstrate yield curve is a comparison of the short term and the long term rate. When the yield curve is downwards looking, mm. this means the market is for expecting the interest rate to go down yeah. in a long period of time. That is very beneficial for the equity market. Okay, so what happened two weeks ago when the Federal Reserve lift rate higher than the market expected? Mm. They sent a message that you know by February next year, the Fed fund rate could gone up to 4.6%. Remember just a few weeks ago, the markets was thinking about next year we have a rate cut. So that effectively moved the yield curve to downward sloping mm. into more flat yield curve. So this adjustment alone create problem with the bond market. So when there's short with the bond market, there's short to the equity market. And this sort of short is going to take weeks 
to resolve according mm. to our strategist Michael Knox. Mm. And so what we're seeing now at the moment is, you know, it's just this volatility market adjusting their expectation. And why the Federal Reserve want to do that? Because they want to create an intention that we're going to dry up the bond rate to send a signal back to your question to fight the inflation. Yeah. So in a sense, it's like a scare um, campaign mm. to, to scare the consumer in the US, to scare the, the businesses who are setting prices and creating inflation, all that sort of stuff. And I guess the, the quicker it works, the quicker the market will turn around and start going up rather than heading in a downward direction. Yeah, that's true. Because when I look at the fair value uh, of ASX 200, it's still 7,200 points. Mm. And we just mentioned about the bond market sell off, but it's funny enough, our research team suggests the Australian 10 year bond is the only bond in the OECD country that yet to have a bond yield higher than the year high. So a lot of bond yield reached a high in, in, in June, and now we have another record high, but not with Australia. Why? Because we have a record current account surplus. Mm. And it's very timely because we are about to have a Federal Reserve, uh, a Federal budget yeah. in a, on the 25th. Mm. And we are in a very good shape. That's why our bond market has stabilized. And that's important to the equity market because the stabilization of bond will allow us to maintain our fair value. So the market at the moment, uh, well, a week ago, you know, we're 700 points below the fair value. So the market is cheap. Yeah, yeah. Today, I think we're about 400 points below. Mm -hmm. So, you know, slightly cheap. Yeah. yeah. And what I found interesting over the weekend when I was knocking out my story for the Switzer report, that our market was down, I think, 7% year to date, but the American market was down 16. Mm. So, yeah, it's a, it's a reflection of that, we are in pretty good shape. The fact that our inflation number fell, um, albeit not by much, but still it was enough for the Reserve Bank to say, well, we'll test out a 0.25% rise rather than a 0.5%. I guess the bottom line is if that trend keeps continuing, our market could outperform. Absolutely. And also there's a lot of, uh, I, I, I read a lot into the CBA forecast. Of, yeah. You know, they, they stand out. They got know, it right. They, they say 0.25%. Mm. Okay. Why I always believe, you know, CBA got uh, figures well ahead of the market because of the dominant uh, customer's position they have. They know what consumers are doing because they have most consumers banking with them. Yeah, and this is a good sign, you know, okay. things may not be looking as bad. Mm, okay, let's go to the stocks that you either like or don't like. And the first one, over here, energy stocks, you're, you're a big fan of energy still. Yeah, I think so. Uh, at the moment, you know, given whatever happened to, to the world, you know, mm. we have a lot of geopolitical conflict. And, you know, surely, you know, Europe is in shortage of LNG at the moment. And um, surprisingly, China, this year, they, they hasn't import as much LNG as before because mm. of the lockdown. Yeah. So now we think about the energy demand will continue to be high, especially on the LNG. Yeah. If China coming back to the market next year, assuming you know after what I call a two session next March, they continue to reopen, there will be tremendous demand for LNG, and I think Australia will stand to benefit. So, what companies do you like? Well, uh, at the moment we like Santos. Mm. Yeah, Santos is a we can arguably say you know it's a complex story mm. because they got their producing mine, they also got you know some of the future investment. But if we look at the, the, the key one, like you know the PNG, LNG, 
or in Australian Eastern Seaboard, the, the Gladstone um, LNG, they're doing really, really well. Mm. Uh, more importantly, many years ago, if we all remember Santos uh, carry heaps of debts. Yeah. And the current management team, team paid down a lot of debt. And with the recent announcement of, you know, sell down 5% stake in the PNG LNG, mm. that would likely to cut the, the gearing uh, level further down to maybe around 12 to 13%. So what it mm. means, the implication for shareholders is that could be capital management from Santos. Yeah. And also the yield last year will be below two, uh, 3%. Mm. This year, the yield could be, you know, maybe around the 37 3.8%. However, this is a very sustainable yield we talk about because they fixed the balance sheet. Yeah, yeah. And the outlook for prices are good. Yeah. Okay, REITs, you've got a, a, a tick for REITs. REITs have struggled over the last few years. Tell us why you like them now. Yeah, usually over X many years, I usually find investing REITs when they are trading well below the NTA mm. will be rewarding for long term. Mm. You may not get a result for the next few months, mm. but you know, over the long term, I think they will do well. Mm. The like of Murfac, I know a lot of people worry about public trust at the moment, mm. but at the moment you are paying 35% discount to the NTA on the portfolio of assets. Mm. So their office, their shopping center and the like. <coughs> However, you got their funds management business, you got their property development business free of charge. And the business itself or the stocks itself offer 5% dividend yield. And the gearing level is nowhere where they are during the GFC time. Mm. You know, around, you know, the 20% at the moment gearing ratio. I think it's very sustainable. So those who, you know, you're paid to invest mm. and be patient. And, you know, on the next cycle, I think they will do well. Mm. Let's move back. Okay, and I guess down the track, interest rates will hit a, hit a high and they'll start coming off the boil and REITs compete with interest rates, don't they? Yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, high interest rate will continue to be a theme to, to, to look at in terms of the investment, that's mm. for sure. Okay, I've asked you what companies you don't like. What are the characteristics of companies you don't like? Then I'll make you name a few names. Well, I, maybe I try to avoid names, yeah. but I, I typically try to avoid company with high level of debts because yep. obviously you know many of us been been through the period of gfc or you know back to the old days you know the tech rack mm -hmm. you know what the debt can do to the company yep. so typically you know if the company don't have an interest coverage ratio of over you know over three times and I'm, I'm less interested to invest in them mm. at this at this moment okay so what companies <laughs> are on your i don't like list well I wouldn't say I don't like, but I, I would, I would, I would be more cautious. Yeah, well, I would not invest in them. Yeah, a, a very popular one like Transurban. Yep. Uh, yes, very you know, popular. they offer some inflation hedge, right. that's for sure, because the toll is, you know, is CPI link. Mm. Uh, however, they do have, you know, quite a high level of debt uh, in the system at the moment. Uh, so I think, you know, on the uh, substantial in increase in interest rate uh, that can impact not only on the debt level mm. but also on the valuation as are, well. Are you, are you looking at the current share price of Transurban and its debt issues? Because some, if someone who bought Transurban at seven or eight dollars, you're not telling them to sell, are you? It's just like you're, you're kind of saying, don't buy at these levels. Yeah, that's true. I mean, for the holder, I'm happy for them to hold uh, because you know this is a long life assets. Yeah. 
And on, on the depressed share price, you know, there will be global super funds or funds manager, they want to buy them and yeah. hold forever. Yeah. It is more, my cautious is more for those who do not own this company at the moment. Yeah. I'll be more cautious yep. to, to buy them at the current level. Okay, it's nice to ha on this um, show to have someone being negative on something, Raymond. Is there, is there another company that you just don't like at the moment for debt reasons? Well, uh, well, it's hard for me to pinpoint name I don't like, right? In, yeah. in a in a in a okay. in a well, public uh, forum, right? Okay. Or, a, or a, how about a stock you won't buy that everybody like? For example, like I'm always happy to say I like JB Hi-Fi when the market belts it up because it's a great company. Yeah. And if you can buy it at a low price, over time historically it always comes good and it pays a reasonable dividend i'm comfortable with that yeah. but there are like there are tech name companies that i wouldn't recommend when yep. they're at high prices yeah someone would recommend low prices but <laughs> is there a company out there at the moment that you, that you think people might think like a, give a classic example i haven't liked amp for a long time and part of the reason because it was always heading down it, uh, pick out that first big drop from the 30s down to about four or five dollars. It has never ever recovered. And as a company, when people say, oh, "I buy it for income," well, I said, "Be careful. You know, you you can make income, but you could lose a lot of capital." Is there a company like that that stuck six in your brain right now? Yeah, well, there's certainly a lot of company not meeting my my investment criteria. They're very high standards. Yeah, yeah because I, I guess you know by by default, I don't invest company with no earnings yeah. because back to the uni days when there's no earnings, I don't have evaluation. Mm. It's only when I joined the stockbroking industry, I realized, hmm. Oh, so when you were at university, you were a mad stock stock player, <laughs> were you? Yeah, how's that? I saw investing yeah, so into it. So if you were a young yeah. person who's lost a lot of money, he was like that too as he grew older and smarter, but go on. So, so a company like you know, uh, uh, like Batmaker, you know, it, it is. Oh, Batmaker, yes, yeah, yeah, classic yeah. company. It, it uh, is. It's a company where you know that there's certainly they have EBITDA, yeah. but you know it's yet to it arrive. Has blue sky, but gee, yeah. it could be a long way off. Yeah, you know it, it yet to you know announce a net profit yeah. um, as such. So. So I, I would I would need to be convinced, uh, uh, but certainly the company got lots of debt, mm. uh, cash mm. at the moment. Yeah. So uh, and also there's a number of uh, high tech company, you know, mm. that uh, I have to be mindful. You know, uh, there's a lot of followers out there at the moment, yeah. but they don't they don't make um, profit. Yeah. And while some of them actually have a EBITDA positive, however, because of the capex profile, so the amount of money they have to invest into the business. Yeah it will mean that there will be a long time before they can generate net profit. Mm. So uh, this is, I guess, something we have to be mindful. In the blue market, it's easy to raise equity for them to grow, but in a bear market, as we're in now, mm. uh, we just have to be more mindful. Great stuff, mate. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Marion Chan of Morgans. Well, Paul Rickard's back from his swanning around the world trip, and uh, ironically, he likes a company that's very much uh, linked to the high-flying traveller. Paul, good to see you. Yeah, I wouldn't call it swanning, Peter, but uh, look, part of it was leisure. Did but you travel business class? <laughs> I did travel business that's class. That's most but, but I could tell you, Peter, every, you the whole I, I did, there were a couple of flights at Economy and uh, going across to Europe, and every flight I went on was chockers. That's right. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? 
And I th look, obviously some people can't afford the travel right at the moment, but the people who can, that, that demand curve is price inelastic, isn't it? They're paying it and they're travelling. They are. People are travelling. I mean, the other two stories, Peter, is that, um, look, i have uh, talking to people in the UK trying to get a flight back to Australia. They couldn't get a booking. Uh, and I've just booked flight tickets again to go in, uh, in January and, and prices are through the roof. And yeah. that accounts for all the experiences in the domestic market. Yeah. I've heard some outrageous fares being charged between Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah. Oh, $900 one way. Yeah. Oh, so, we've so, been the victim of that one. So the sort of the run up from that was, you know, I mean, one of our, um, you know, early uh, people who used to be a big guest on our show, Charlie Aitken, mm. used to say that... Um, some of the best investment ideas are things you can actually you know, look and see and touch. And although I've always steered clear of airlines because of, um, you know, they, they do have what we call that exogenous risk. Yeah, you know, volcanoes. <laughs> volcanoes or, or you know, heaven help a plane crashes or something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's something you, there's, there's an uncontrollable risk factor. Um, I just think that, uh, you know, that, you know, what's going on at the moment, uh, and Qantas is a great example, yeah. is going to be fantastic uh, for their profitability. And the question I think people are always got to ask themselves is, is this already in the market or not? Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that's been interesting looking at the how the pandemic has played out in Qantas is it's really the share price has been pretty stable now. Sure, it dipped uh, in February 20, but yeah. as people realised at some stage that the borders would reopen yep. and flying would come back again, you know, the price has held up very well uh, and are still in that sort of low $5 category. Uh, and to me, that still looks like really good value because we know that Qantas um, <coughs> took the opportunity of the pandemic to do a lot of cost cutting. Yeah, lost a lot uh, of pilots as well. Lost yeah. a lot of pilots. Uh, we know that capacity is coming back uh, and even in their last quarter, the capacity is still is up and they've got a long way to go. Mm. So there's still a lot more upside. Well, what are the brokers saying? Yeah, the analysts have a target price of about $6.40. So that compares with today's price of about $5.20. Yeah. Uh, all the major brokers are bullish. There's one who's a bit negative on it, but it's more so just because I think it's uh, the way that this broker sees the stock looks at perhaps the you know, slowing of the economy uh, impacting demand. But I don't think, I think there's still so much money around, yeah. Peter, and people are catching up for two or three years. Yeah. I don't think this travel thing's going away in the short and term. It's demand compared to capacity. And remember, in the old days, we had Tiger Airlines, not there anymore. So it's just Jetstar, Virgin, and Virgin is not competing like it used to, particularly in business class, where Qantas makes a lot of money. It does, and, and what Qantas has said in the last couple of months, now we, I want to talk about the, the problems they've had, but mm. uh, that they've actually started to uh, reduce capacity where they need to, mm. <laughs> uh, to actually just manage that really tightly. So, you know, it's, it's a duopoly system. It's hardly a duopoly. It's almost a monopoly now uh, in, in many cases. With a price leader model. Uh, with a price leader yeah. and, and, and Qantas is, is raking in the cash. And yeah. I think, don't think that's, sure, the market expects, you know, travel to recover and is recovering I just don't think that's in the market enough. So yeah. that's, that's hence my, my bullishness on Qantas. Downsides, mm -hmm. well, um, number one is the oil price. Yep. So Qantas has said that their fuel bill will go from something like about just under $2 billion last financial year to about $5 billion this financial year. That's a big increase. Now that's partly because massive more capacity in terms of more planes up in the air. So that means they've right. got to buy more fuel. Yeah. But it also reflects um, 
you know, the fact that they've had to re-hedge and oil prices have gone up, and so that, that's an impact. Now, they, they're saying that that's going to be basically compensated through higher ticket prices, mm. you know, which they're getting back. Yeah. But, you know, that could get worse if, uh, you know, if, if the oil market goes, you know, mm. goes, goes further, you know. But as I, as I listen to it, Paul, I know it's a downside, but it could end up being an upside if the Ukraine war ends in 2023 and oil prices fall. Yeah. So they've written in a, a high cost, which might not be. So, so that, that's one. And the other thing is, is going back to the problems they had in May, June, July around, you know, cancellations, the phone call, wait time, people can get, get through to their call centre, mm. you know, huge loss, loss, lots of lost bags and everything. Look, they seem to have addressed most of those. Those metrics have come back in order. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's required Qantas to employ some more people. Mm. So there's some extra costs there. So they're set to me to the downsides apart from, you know, just the normal airline risk. Yeah. But it's, it's not overpriced, Pete, and uh, yeah. I think there's upside. Well, one aspect of Qantas which um, I think is really interesting is that I know um, Maura, my wife, has booked uh, hotel rooms on Qantas. They're now, now selling healthcare. Yep. The way they're using that website it's giving them diversification, alternative streams of income, which they never had before, but this is a, a great um, uh, database to market to. I reckon there's, there's enormous potential on that, which is going to reinforce the, um, the position of this company going forward. Well, that's, that's what they call their loyalty division, and it actually grew earnings last year, so mm, uh, notwithstanding that, and uh, they've got some, you know, and, and part of that, Peter, is actually getting more, more partners onto it, but also getting people to redeem points. So yeah. they actually want to encourage that. So, yeah. well, uh, I, and I know we, we, we got rooms in Greece purely for the Qantas um, yeah. Uh, website, which we wouldn't have thought of unless they marketed it. So there's, a, there's an enormous database, and I guess some people will even start looking at its health offering as well. So it's it's quite extraordinary what they're going to do there. 14.1 million uh, frequent flyer cards out there. So uh, it's a huge, huge yeah. database, right? So it's over half the population. It's over half the population. So that's that's all the positive points, and uh, I think there's value there. So. Yeah, and pricing metrics look okay. Okay. Paul Rickard from the Switzer Report. And that's the show for Monday. Look forward to seeing you on Thursday. And don't forget, if you want to get more information about investing in stocks, have a look at switzerreport.com.au. Thanks for joining me. See you on Thursday.